Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you are listening from, welcome to Farfetched Fables. I'm very glad to be back behind the microphone. I'm sure you've noticed that I've been missing the last couple of weeks, and my thanks goes out to Mark and my assistant editor Gary for holding down the fort when I was incapacitated. With any good luck, I will be with you regularly from now on, through all the exciting developments that are coming on Farfetched Fables this year. Without further ado, let's move on to our story for today. And yes, you did hear me correctly. Story, singular. It's quite a long one, but very, very good. It's called Spirit Brother, and it's written by Pamela Sargent. Pamela is a multi-talented lady who has won so many different awards. She's won the Nebula and Locus Awards. She was honoured in 2012 with the Science Fiction Research Association's Pilgrim Award, which is given for lifetime contributions to science fiction and fantasy scholarship. She's written many novels, including Venus of Dreams, The Shore of Women, The Golden Space, The Sudden Star, and The Alien Upstairs. Pamela is also the editor of the Women of Wonder anthologies, the first collections of science fiction by women. And her novel Earthseed has been optioned by Paramount Pictures. Melissa Rosenberg, who is the scriptwriter for all five Twilight films, is set to write and produce the movie through her company, Tall Girls Productions. Pamela's next novel, Season of the Cats, will be published this year, 2015, by Wildside Press. There are a load of links on the Triple F website, so pop over and have an explore. It's narrated for you today by our Triple F hero, Pete Nixon. Pete is a full-time programmer and full-time student. He's the editor and producer for Green Eggs and Horror, a Dr. Zeus-inspired short story anthology. He narrates and writes in his spare time because he doesn't believe in normal hobbies, except for running. Enjoy the story. Here is Spirit Brother 
by Pamela Sargent. The flat land below him was white, the color of purity and luck. Jamukha flew in the form of an eagle, feeling the wind under his wings. The steppe and mountains had always been covered by snow on the day he had first met Temujin, the companion and comrade in arms who had later become his greatest enemy. But all of that had happened when he was a boy, years ago in the world of the living. My spirit will watch over you, Jamukha had said at the end, knowing even as he spoke that Temujin would not let him live that he would have to punish Jamukha for turning against him. Temujin had granted him an honorable death by strangulation so that his blood would not be shed, but Jamukha could not recall the moment when the silken cord had tightened around his neck. Temujin's shamans had chanted over Jamukha's body and buried him with a horse, some dried meat, a skin of kumis, and his weapons on a mountain overlooking the Onan River. Jamukha had lingered near his grave after his death, unheeding the days and nights that passed. He had feared that the world of the spirits might be as empty as the steppe, and usually it was, for the bravest of the dead had flown to Koko Monkey Tengri, the eternal blue sky that covered all of Itugin, the earth. But at other times, as Jamukha flew over the land, he would see other lost spirits camped near a grave, pale wraiths feeding on the smoke of the offerings burned by mourners for the dead. He glimpsed one such spirit now, hovering in the form of a black bird over the ashes of a sacrificial fire near the mountain graveside of a chief. Jamukha watched the bird avidly gulp the last of the tendrils of smoke and knew then that the creature was the ghost of Togril, the Kiryat Khan, as greedy in death as Togril had been in life. I greet you, full ally and enemy, the ghost of Togril Khan said. The spirit bird's eyes were sly and crafty, its talons ready to clutch at whatever was near. I greet you, Togril on Khan. Jamukha alighted near the small yurt that had been raised near the grave. How many times did you betray me in life? No more often than you betrayed me, Togro replied. No more often than Temujin betrayed both of us, after claiming to be our comrade and brother. Yet you swore before your death that your ghost would watch over Temujin. That is true. The few spirits Jamukha had encountered had been able to glimpse his inner thoughts and to remember all the events of his life. Togro was no different. Why would you want to protect the man who sentenced you to death? Togro asked. Because he was my Anda, my sworn brother, Jamukha said. Before he became my enemy, I made my last promise to him, for the sake of our old oath. That was part of the truth, but not all of it. There's no place in your world for men who won't bow to you. Those were the last words Jamukha had spoken to Temujin. But my ghost will remind you of what you lost to gain your triumphs. A ghost is not so easily cast aside. That had been part of his promise to his old comrade. In your place, I would long for revenge, Togro said. I think that's what still holds me here. Temujin took everything from me. He was my honor, Jamukha said. I turned against him only when I knew that his heart had hardened against me. We might have ruled together, but he prefers to rule alone. In heaven there is only one sun, Togro said. And on the earth there can only be one Khan. That was not what had been said when Jamukha and Temujin were youthful comrades. In the sky there is a sun and a moon. The men had sung, and for a year and a half he and Temujin had ridden together and led their clans together. 
They had shared the same grazing grounds, the same triumphs, the same blanket and bed. I didn't leave Temujin, Jamaka said. It was he who left me. At that thought, the pain and rage he had felt when Temujin had abandoned him nearly overwhelmed him once more. His sworn brother had left him without warning, sneaking away in the night, and many of the men they had led together had chosen to follow Temujin. That had been the beginning of the wars between them. The wars Temujin had at last won. He swore oaths to me, as he did to you, Togoro's spirit murmured. And now he rules over my Kiriyats, as he rules over all the tribes. Jamaka said, I loved him, as all the chiefs now love and honor Temujin, who became Genghis Khan. They do not love him, as I did, Jamuka said. You loved him and swore to watch over him, but I think you also longed to punish him for what he did. Jamuka was silent, unable to deny the other ghost's words. Togro stretched his black wings, rising toward the sky with the last of the smoke. Jamuka gazed at the ashes of the dead fire. He had come to love Temujin, when they were both fatherless boys, after Temujin and his brothers had been abandoned by their people. He had known the brave Mongol boy would not be an outcast forever that Temujin would become an honored chief. He had ridden with Temujin against their Merkit enemies in their first great battle together. A beloved comrade, his other self, that was what he had seen in his sworn brother. And Temujin had finally used it against him. He should have been past such feelings. They belonged to the world of the living, but he clutched at that world, unable to free himself of it. He had not been like other men. Jamuka had always known that about himself. Others might, occasionally, take their pleasure with boys or young men, with a captive or a boy too weak to resist, but such pleasures were no more than the whims of a moment or a way to take revenge on a defeated enemy. But for Jamuka, they had been a way to douse the fire that sometimes flared inside him, the flames that could not be quenched by anything else. And then with Temujin, he had found more a companion who might share his feelings, who might honor their love above all others. But it had not been that way for Temujin. He had shared himself with Jamuka for a time, surrendering as little of himself as possible, never allowing himself to admit the true nature of their bond. And then he had left Jamuka's side in the night. There had been battles and betrayals after that, and too many times when Jamuka had allowed his old feelings for Temujin to cloud his judgment and lead him to defeat. They might have ruled together. Instead, Temujin had become Genghis Khan, the greatest Khan his people had ever known. He had united all of the Mongol clans and had then brought all of their old enemies, the Merkits, the Tatars, the Naimans to the west, under his yoke. He would not rest now. Jamaka was sure of that. Temujin would not be satisfied until all the world bowed to him. Such thoughts and the anger of sorrow they evoked were useless now. They only kept Jamaka chained to the earth, haunting the living, unable to fly to heaven. The wind carried Jamaka to another snow-covered mountain. He wondered if he was doomed to haunt the world forever. He had roamed the land as a tiger or wolf, soared toward the sky as an eagle or falcon, and even when he longed most fervently to fly to heaven, he remained bound to the earth. He had not kept the promise he had made to watch over Temujin. Perhaps the spirits had condemned him to wander the world of the living until he honored that oath. A yurt made of felt panels stood below the mountain. A stream of smoke rose from its smoke hole. Three white horses were tethered outside the round black tent. A man sat on the mountain slope above the yurt, his eyes closed, his body still. Jamuka recognized him at once, and the fear that suddenly welled up inside him nearly drove him from the mountain. The man was a shaman, 
and a shaman more powerful than most, able to sense the presence of spirits and ghosts, and to let them take possession of him. This shaman's spells had helped Temujin to win so much of the world. Temtengiri, Jamaka whispered, as the wind whipped the feathers of the shaman's headdress. No one called him by the name he had been given at birth. He was now Teb Tengiri, the All-Celestial. He was a man almost as beautiful as a woman, smooth-skinned and with no traces of a mustache. Age had not yet touched him. His spells, it was said, had brought Temujin many of his victories, and his curses could make men sicken and die. Jamukha knew that he should flee. Ghosts might be invisible to most of the living, but shamans could feel their presence. Great shamans could summon ghosts and spirits and bend them to their will. The spirit harbored by this mountain was already whispering to Jamukha in the wind, warning him to fly away from this place. Then Teb Tengiri turned his head toward Jamukha and opened his large, dark eyes. Jamukha circled him slowly, hoping that he remained invisible. The shaman frowned, as if sensing that Jamukha was near, and then he turned away and slowly got to his feet. Jamukha waited, powerless to flee, expecting the man to chant a spell that would bind him. But Teb Tengiri made his way down the slope toward the yurt below, seemingly unaware of the ghost fluttering near him. Flee, the spirit of the mountain whispered, but there was no need to escape the shaman now. Perhaps Teb Tengiri was not as powerful as people claimed. Some, Jamaka knew, attributed more powers to shamans than they actually possessed, and his wanderings as a ghost had shown him shamans who seemed blind and deaf to the spirits around them. Teb Tengiri had seemed to sense that Jamaka was close to him, and yet had not tried to bind him or to ward him off with a spell. Perhaps I have the power to possess him, Jamaka thought. A spirit could enter the body of a man, speak through him, drive him into madness, even make him sicken and die. The weak were easy prey for ghosts, as were the mad, and also those shamans who sent out their souls too often to wander among the dead. It came to Jamukha then that, through Teb Tengiri, he might be able to keep the oath he had sworn before his death. He could watch over Temujin, as he had sworn to do, and honor his oath as he awaited chances to torment his former comrade. There would be risks, but perhaps risks worth taking. Few were as close to Temujin as Teb Tengiri, and Temujin had always feared the powers of shamans. Flee, the mountain spirit whispered once more. Fly away now! But Jamaka was already following Teb Tengiri down the slope. The shaman seemed unaware of his presence now. That would give Jamaka the advantage. His form changed, becoming a mist with silvery tendrils, slowly entwining themselves around the shaman's body. Still the man did not sense him. As he prepared to take possession of Teb Tengiri, the world abruptly vanished, trapping him in a darkness as thick and black as a felt blanket. Jamaka cried out and heard the shaman's answering cry. He struggled against the darkness and felt it press against him more heavily. The man had been waiting for him, he realized, ready to trap him. I have you, Teb Tengiri murmured, and his voice surrounded Jamaka. I know who you are, who you were. Jamaka struggled in the blackness, blind, gasping as he had at the moment of his death. Let me go, he whispered. But you don't want to go, Teb Tengiri replied. You don't want to leave me, Jamaka. You're still dreaming of revenge against the man who was once your sworn brother. No, Jamaka said. You can't hide your thoughts from me. You want to be near Temujin, to recall your old friendship, and to remember what he once was to you. But you also want vengeance. 
You dream of taking everything Temujin has won away from him, of seeing his men betray him as yours betrayed you, of leaving him with nothing. Jamaka was silent. I serve Temujin, Genghis Khan, Tebtengiri continued. I have sensed the will of the spirits. I know that Temujin is the son of heaven and destined to rule over all the world. I cannot stand against the spirits, but it is I who will rule through him in the end. That is the only revenge I can grant you, sworn brother of Temujin. That is the only revenge I can grant you, sworn brother of Temujin. That you will see the great Khan grow ever more regretful as his conquests increase. That he will be haunted even at the height of his power by the ghosts and spirits of those he betrayed. And that, because of his fear and remorse, he will give me whatever I want and do whatever I wish him to do. That will be enough punishment, Jamaka said, wondering if the shaman could sense his fear of the smothering darkness in which he was embedded. Invisible ropes held him, and he understood that Teb Tengiri had bound him with a powerful spell. To attempt escape would be risky. If he failed, Teb Tengiri would bind his soul even more tightly and see that he never got another chance to fly away from him. Jamaka had what he had wanted, a chance to keep his promise to haunt Temujin. But already the hatred that had flared up inside him burned less brightly, replaced by a growing fear. Teb Tengiri kept him blind and deaf, wrapped in the heavy darkness. Jamaka had no way of knowing if a day or a month had passed. He felt as though the shaman had buried him again, interred him in a grave from which he could never escape. At last Jamaka sent out a tendril of thought, then realized that the shaman could not now hear him. Teb Tengiri, as did most shamans, endured moments when he would fall to the ground senseless, or else start to twist in one of the fits that he could not control whenever certain spirits had possession of him. Perhaps Teb Tengiri had lost consciousness. Maybe his spirit had left his body temporarily. Jamaka waited for the shaman to come to himself, then felt the man's body stir. He would leave this place. Teb Tengiri was thinking and ride to his khan. Jamaka sensed the shaman's intention before the darkness as thick as heavy felt cloaked him once more. Jamuka and Temujin were enemies long before Teb Tengiri had become the khan's chief shaman. But Teb Tengiri's reputation had quickly grown among the tribes. The shaman had come to his calling early, while still a boy called Kokochu. He had told his father Munglik, a Konkochad chief, who had chosen to follow Jamuka, that a dream had showed him that Munglik should ride to Temujin's side. Munglik had been amply rewarded for heeding that omen and deserting Jamuka. Temujin had welcomed him as an old friend and given the Konkotat his own widowed mother as a wife. Kokochu, as a trusted stepbrother of the young Mongol Khan, had quickly won fame as a mighty shaman whose spells were greatly feared by Temujin's enemies. He could raise the wind and sweep enemy horsemen from their mounts. He cast spells that protected the Mongol forces from enemy arrows. He would stand fearlessly in the open as lightning struck the ground around him and turn a storm of ice and hail against enemy forces. It was said that he often rode to heaven on his white horse and that the spirits themselves had given him the name of Teb Tengiri, the All-Celestial. Jamaka had once scorned and mocked such tales. Now, imprisoned inside Teb Tengiri, Blind and helpless, he no longer doubted them. The shaman was speaking in his musical voice. Jamaka did not know how much time had passed, how long he had been waiting in the darkness, and then he heard the familiar and once beloved voice of another man. 
Temujin, he thought, straining to hear his aunt's words. Teb Tengiri must have ridden to the Khan's camp. He was addressing Temujin now. Jamaka was suddenly afraid. I must speak to you, Teb Tengiri was saying, and then spears of light pierced the darkness around Jamaka, making the world visible again. He gazed through the shaman's eyes and felt Teb Tengiri's body around him. Another man sat on a cushion across from Teb Tengiri. The man stretched his arms toward the fire that glowed inside the curved metal bands of the hearth. The light caught his face, and Jamaka felt sharp pangs of grief and regret as he recognized Temujin. His Anda's strange pale eyes were the same, his mustaches as long, and the dark braids coiled behind his ears on his shaven head still had their reddish tint, but there was weariness in Temujin's leathery aging face. What is it? Temujin asked. What do you wish to tell me? And Jamaka, moved by the familiar sound of that quiet but forceful voice, nearly called out his sworn brother's name. I am with you again, Teb Tengiri said, but Jamaka was also saying those words, hearing his own voice in that of the shamans. I speak to you now through your shaman, Teb Tengiri. Temujin's eyes widened as he held up his hand, palm out, and made a sign against evil. You wanted me at your side, the shaman continued with Jamaka's voice. Even as you ordered my death, and I have not forgotten my promise to you. Temujin clutched at the shaman's arm, and Jamaka felt his old comrade's strong grip. Can it be? Jamaka longed to tell the Khan of how his spirit had been wandering ever since his death, of how he had not forgotten his oath to watch over him. Then the pain of all the betrayal stabbed at him again. You ordered my death, Temujin. You said that you could not allow me to live, and now, when it is too late, you mourn me and long for me and indulge yourself in regret. Jamaka was about to utter a curse when he felt the words catch in the shaman's throat. Teb Tengiri could still rein him in, could bury him again in the suffocating darkness if he resisted the shaman's will. Teb Tengiri could trap him and see that he never escaped. I promise to watch over you, Jamaka said through the shaman. And I am here. You longed for me to be your comrade once more, and I have come to you. Jamuka! Timujin cried. Teb Tengiri held out his hands as Timujin sagged against him, then closed his arms around him. I am with you again, Timujin, as you wished me to be. Timujin clung to Teb Tengiri, his fingers digging into the shaman's coat. You were my first true friend as a boy, Jamuka, Timujin said softly, as close to me as my own brothers. You were my friend when I had no one, when my father was murdered and my family abandoned by all. I didn't want to leave your side. I never wanted to fight against you. I did not want to order your death. There were so many times when I was ready to forgive you. Timujin wanted to believe that, Jamaka thought. It was a weakness of Timujin's, perhaps his only weakness, the way in which he often hesitated before deciding on what he must do. He was always one to seek counsel from those closest to him. His mother, Holun, his brother Kassar, and his close comrade Borchu, and his chief wife Bortai, who had done everything in her power to turn Temujin against Jamoka. The Khan would listen to their advice and weigh it, but in the end he always overcame his doubts and did only as he wished to. 
however much Temujin might falter, making his decisions in the beginning. In the end, he was always implacable in the service of his own will. Then he would delude himself into believing that he had been forced only by necessity and the will of the spirits to act in his own interests. I have forgiven you, the shaman was still speaking with Jamaka's voice. I am here to honor my oath to you. When you wish to have me with you again, you need only summon your shaman to your side. Jamuka, Timujin held on to Teptingiri's coat, and Jamuka glimpsed tears in the Khan's gold-flecked, greenish-brown eyes. Timujin would never have shown such weakness in front of any of his men. Jamuka should have felt triumphant seeing his betrayer in such a state. Instead, pity pricked at him. Promise me that you won't leave me, the Khan murmured, that your spirit will always watch over me. I shall, Teptingiri said with Jamaka's voice. Be at peace, my brother. Then Jamaka was again plunged into darkness. Jamaka had waited, curled in on himself, buried in the darkness he could not escape. Once, unable to bear the thick gloom any longer, he found himself pushing against it, sinking more deeply into the blackness, even as he struggled to free himself. You cannot get away, Teptingiri's voice surrounded him. There is no way out for you until I choose to let you go. Right now I need you if I am to strengthen my hold on Temujin. He will heed my words above anyone else's because he hears your voice in me. Because he knows that your spirit truly lives inside me. When I have seen more deeply into your soul, when I have finally learned everything that has passed between you and Temujin, when I know enough to make my Khan believe that you still possess me even when you do not, then I can show you some mercy and release you. I am grateful for that, Jamaka murmured, wondering if he could trust the shaman. He held his doubts close, cloaking them, knowing that he had to keep his deepest thoughts hidden. It seems, the shaman said, that you have some doubts about my ambitions. The man was too sensitive to his innermost thoughts. Jamaka reigned in his doubts. I am only thinking, he said, that as trusted as you are by the Khan, and as much as Timujin fears your powers and your spells, you are not the only one who advises him. He also listens to his brothers, and to his comrades in arms, Borshu, Jelm, Mukali, and the rest. Timujin has always had so many trusted followers. He struggled against his bitterness, then allowed Teb Tengiri to sense it. I also suspect that his chief wife, Bortai, still has his ear. Bortai Ketun is too frightened of me even to think of poisoning her husband against me. As for his brothers, Temujin has only to suspect that one or more of them covets his throne, and that would be enough to make him turn against them. Could that be true? Could Kassar or Temuji even dream of ruling in their older brother's place? Jamaka did not believe it. The two had been deeply devoted to Temujin ever since boyhood, and had remained loyal even when the Khan had suffered his worst defeats. Could Teb Tengiri rouse the Khan's suspicions against his brothers? That might be a kind of revenge, seeing Temujin harden himself against those who were most faithful to him, and to doubt the loyalty of those he loved most. Jamaka should have felt a fierce joy at that prospect. Instead, he was remembering a time when he and Temujin as boys had practiced together with their bows, 
Kassar had joined them on the windswept plain of yellow grass, aiming his arrows at a distant tree, never missing, proving that he was the best archer among them. It had been easy for Jamaka to praise Kassar for his skill, to feel joy at the pride he saw in the younger boy's sharp, dark eyes. For that moment, on that day, the three of them had been happy, oblivious of their enemies and all of the hardships that still lay ahead. The memory left him, captured in the web of Teb Tengiri's thoughts. The shaman would find a way to use it to play on Temujin's regrets. Jamaka wondered why he did not feel happier about the prospect, then quickly cloaked his feelings in the thick darkness. Embedded as he was in the blackness, unable to see or to hear, Jamaka found himself recalling the sights and sounds of the past. He was in the northern forests, waiting with his men to raid an encampment of mushroom-shaped yurts along the Yuda River. He had ridden there to aid Temujin, whose young wife, Bortai, was a prisoner in the Merkit camp. Far above him, bright veils of light fluttered in the night sky. The spirits who danced at the gate of heaven were urging him on to victory. Now he was standing with Temujin, under the great tree, in the Korkonog Valley, as hundreds of men swore oaths to them both, raising a forest of lances and stamping their feet. Then he was lying with Temujin, under that tree, listening to the distant howl of wolves, gazing up through the leaves at the tiny, bright smoke holes of Tengri that dotted the night sky. They had shared themselves with each other under the blanket, giving themselves pleasure with their hands, as they had when they were boys, but now they were men, binding themselves to each other more tightly, being to each other what no one else could be to either of them. That love had been their secret. Others had seen them only as the closest of comrades and sworn brothers, and Jamaka was content to leave it so, feeling that such secrecy kept their love unsullied. No mockery would wound them. No puzzled, suspicious looks from Bortai or Temujin's other women could touch them. Nothing would sever the secret bond that bound them. But that bond had been cut, and the love they had once shared had made their parting angry and bitter. The urges of his body, the desires that made him long for Temujin, became only more weapons the spirits had used to strike at him, tormenting him with what he had lost. His rage had turned his love to hatred, lashing him to his doomed battles against his Onda. Most of his thoughts now were of the times before he and Temujin had parted so bitterly, before they had fought their wars against each other. Allowing himself to think of the betrayals and the wars only brought pain. There had been times when Temujin had been ready to forgive him, when Jamaka had wanted to reach out to his once-beloved friend to say that he was willing to forget the past, but always the anger and hatred and bitterness had come between them again. From time to time, light and sound would flood into him, and Jamaka would observe the world through Teb Tengiri's eyes. Usually, the shaman was inside his yurt, sitting on silk cushions amid the chests of treasures that had been given to him in return for his spells. Temujin was always with them, trembling as he reminisced with Jamaka, laughing or weeping over the past striking his chest with a fist as he spoke of his regrets, gripping Tebtengiri by the shoulders as he begged again for Jamaka's forgiveness. Once the spirit spoke to me, Temujin would say, and then they grew silent. Once my dreams were clear, and then I saw them only through a mist. An evil in me has made me doubt the truth of the spirits. 
but now I hear the ghost of Mayanda, and know that I was wrong to doubt. Forgive me, Jamoka. Always the response was the same. I forgive you, Teptengiri would say with Jamaka's voice. And then the shaman would offer his own advice to the Khan, speaking of what his dreams had told him. The Khan should make another foray across the Gobi against the Tanguts in the south. The spirits had promised Tebdingiri that there would be much loot for his men to share. Togar, Tebdingiri's cousin, had proven his loyalty to the Khan and deserved to be rewarded with five hundred retainers and their households. Holun Katun, the Khan's old mother and Tebdingiri's stepmother, might once have been wise. But she had grown more feeble in both body and mind, and her advice could no longer be trusted. Such were the slow poisons Tebtengiri fed to Temujin with his advice. Temujin was willing to believe the shaman's words, because, through him, his comrade Jamaka lived again. Jamaka would listen as Temujin gave the orders that granted honors to those who were loyal to Tebtengiri, and also withheld favors from any whom the shaman doubted. The Khan was clearly ready to do anything to keep the ghost of his old friend near him, fearing to lose Jamaka again. Yet, when the darkness enclosed him once more, Cutting him off from the world, Jamaka found himself thinking of how little joy there seemed to be in seeing Temujin give vent to his regrets, in watching the shaman play on the Khan's fears and remorse. His soul's imprisonment inside Tebtengiri had finally burned the fire of his old rages into ashes. It was Tebtengiri's wish that Temujin hold a curial tie and once again be proclaimed Khan. The bones and the stars had revealed that it was heaven's will that Temujin be once more confirmed as Genghis Khan, now that all the tribes had submitted to him. The shaman had allowed Jamaka to gaze through his eyes as he read the bones, to listen as Tebtengiri told Temujin of the ceremony that would mark his greatness. He had even let Jamaka's spirit fly from him for a time, to soar above the steppe and look down at the chiefs and noyans in their lacquered leather armor as they rode toward the Khan's great pavilion. But Jamaka felt the invisible, strong tether that still bound him to Tebtengiri. A longing for freedom came over him, but the tether drew taut, pulling him back to the shaman. Other shamans performed the horse sacrifice, strangling a white steed and burning its flesh in a pit to the right of the pavilion. Temujin's brothers and close comrades raised him on a carpet of felt and carried him to his throne. But it was Tebtengiri who hoisted the Khans too, a standard of nine white yak-tails on a long pole, and again proclaimed Temujin as Genghis Khan. Temujin's favorite wives sat with Bortai to the Khan's left, their high square birch headdresses adorned with feathers and jewels. The men seated at Temujin's right lifted their goblets of kumis and arag as they hailed their Khan. Jamaka fed on the smoke of burning meat and the drops of fermented mare's milk that the men spilled from their cups as offerings to the spirits. Perhaps Tebtengiri was granting Jamaka this unaccustomed freedom in order to stoke his rage against Temujin. He was allowing him to see his old comrade at the height of his glory, with all the tribes honoring him, knowing 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The sight would feed Jamaka's anger. It no longer mattered what the tribes called themselves. Kirits or Mirkits, Angirats, Naimans or Ankuts. They were all Mongols now. And the man who had united them and made an army of them would hurl them against the world. It should have been a bitter sight for Jamaka, yet he found himself pitying his friend. Temujin's face revealed his weariness and his pale eyes were cold as he recited the laws that could now govern his people. He is mourning me still, Jamaka realized. During all of the times that Jamaka had spoken to the Khan through Teb Tengiri, Temujin had murmured of their old bond, his loneliness, his increasing isolation. He could trust fewer and fewer of those closest to him. He claimed to need Jamaka even more now. That was Jamaka's supposed part of his revenge— knowing that Temujin was becoming weaker and more suspicious of others. Teptengiri quickly drew Jamukha inside himself and wrapped him in darkness again. Jamukha had glimpsed some of the shaman's thoughts, his lust for power, his arrogance, his growing belief that he was destined to rule through the Khan whom the spirits favored. But that was not the will of the spirits to have Teptengiri rule. Jamukha was convinced of that truth. He had read the bones that morning through the shaman's eyes, and had seen the burnt clavicles crack down the middle, the omen had been clear that Temujin was favored by God. Kokomonki Tengri, the eternal blue heaven above, had chosen Temujin to rule over the world. Perhaps that was why Jomaka had been left to wander the land of the living, why he had been set out, why he had been set out for Tebtengiri like small game for a hawk. The spirits needed him to fulfill their ends. It came to Jamaka that he would not be free to fly to heaven, to ride and hunt with the other spirits of the dead, until he carried out heaven's will and preserved Timujin's throne from Teb Tengiri. But what could he do? How could he act against the man who kept his soul imprisoned? Who could read his thoughts if Jamaka grew careless in hiding them? He had no power to stand against Teb Tengiri, but there might be a way to turn Timujin against him. Perhaps he had to urge the shaman more forcefully along the trail he already intended to follow. Teb Tengiri had been patient and cautious so far in his demands, but Jamaka might be able to goad the shaman into overreaching himself, and thus rouse Temujin's anger. Talon seized him in the darkness, making him throb with pain. Jamaka twisted in their grip. I sense disloyalty, Teb Tengiri's thoughts whispered. There is something inside you. Jamaka allowed a wisp of thought to escape. You think that you can wait, he murmured. That you have all the power you need over Temujin for now. But if you don't move quickly against those who resent your growing influence, the Khan may come to doubt you. He will not doubt me as long as he can hear your voice through me, as long as he can speak to the ghost of his sworn brother. But you don't want him to listen to too many other voices. You don't want to give others the chance to rouse his suspicions against you. The invisible talons released him. 
The shaman was silent, his thoughts hidden. He would now be turning his attention to the feast and to the honors being parceled out by Temujin and his men. Jamaka suddenly feared that Teb Tengiri would never release his soul. How could the shaman risk losing the strongest hold he would ever have over his Khan? Move against Kassar first, Jamaka said inside Teb Tengiri. If you can bring Temujin to doubt his favorite brother, it will be easier to rouse his suspicions against others. Kassar is too close to him still, Teb Tengiri's voice seemed more distant. I can wait. It is enough for the moment that I'm the Khan's chief advisor, that he listens to me above all others. He may turn to Kassar again, Jamaka said. I was the Ali of Togril, the Karit Khan, when Kassar was living in Togril's camp. Many said that Kassar was a prisoner there, but Togril treated him well and wanted Kassar to ride with him against Temujin, and it was said that Kassar nearly agreed to do so. Yet he finally escaped from the Kariyats and returned to Temujin. True, Jamaka said, but some whispered that was only so that he could spy on his brother for the Kariyats, and that Kassar was waiting to see whether Togril or Temujin would win out. Temujin was aware of such rumors, I'm sure. You should remind him of them. A sudden wave of heat seared Jamaka. The darkness surrounding him was as hot as fire. He had not sensed the depth of Teb Tengiri's hatred for Kassar, and the force of it startled him. Temujin may fear me, Teb Tengiri's thoughts murmured, but Kassar does not. I've even heard tales that he mocks me behind my back. He doesn't know that I can sometimes sense unspoken thoughts in others that I know what he thinks of me. He had to be cautious now. He had not understood the intensity of the shaman's enmity toward Kassar, and it frightened him. And what does Kassar think of you? Jamaka asked. That I use my spells to satisfy certain urges, the darkness around Jamaka throbbed. That I bring boys and men, and not only women, to my bed, and that they use me as a woman. That may be the way of some other shamans, but it has never attracted me. The flood of anger and loathing nearly overwhelmed Jamaka. I've hated Kassar for whispering such things. I would happily see him dead for uttering them. Then why have you not moved against him before? Because he still enjoys Temujin's great favor. Because others fear me too much to believe such tales. I have told myself that it's better to wait that to act too soon against Kassar might only give more credence to his lies. The shaman's pain and rage flared up once more. Jamaka struggled to shield himself against the onslaught. Teb Tengiri had not yet sensed the true nature of the bond between Jamaka and Temujin. Perhaps he could not even allow himself to glimpse it. To be trapped inside such a man, one who loathed and feared what Jamaka had been. Jamaka buried that thought. To let Kassar spread such rumors, Jamaka murmured cautiously, only makes it more likely that some will come to believe them. Others may begin to doubt that you're as mighty a shaman as they thought. They'll whisper that if you had the powers you claim to have, you would have punished Kassar for his lies long ago. He could feel Teb Tengiri weighing this possibility. Perhaps you are right, Jamaka. And another urge of loathing and disgust nearly flooded into him. Maybe I've been too patient with Kassar, 
He does not allow himself to know what I was to Timujin. Why would he fear that so much? Jamaka wondered. Perhaps Tebtengiri longed to be what Jamaka had once been to the Khan, even while despising such feelings. Jamaka clutched that bit of knowledge to himself. It was a weapon that he might be able to use against the shaman. It was Kassar who finally provoked a confrontation. He rode to Tebtengiri's camp one evening and demanded entrance to his yurt. The shaman, who had grown more accustomed to the presence of the ghost he had captured, now often allowed Jamaka the use of his eyes and ears. Jamaka listened as Kassar raged outside, shouting to be admitted. Some of my men have left my Urdu for yours, Kassar cried. Bursting through the doorway, almost before a female slave had rolled up the flap to admit him. They've ridden away with their households from my camp and say that they now want to serve you. His words were slurred, his broad face flushed from drink. If they wish to join me, Tebtengiri said softly, I can't stop them. What does it matter as long as they still serve our Khan? Men were shouting outside the tent. Jamaka heard the voices of Tebtengiri's brothers. This meeting was likely to turn into a brawl. He wondered if the shaman could control it. Perhaps, amid the shouting and the fighting, he could find a way to free himself. No, Jamaka thought. The spirits had sent him to Tebtengiri, and would not free him until he had accomplished their purpose. Those men were my followers, Kassar took a step toward Tebtengiri. I demand that you send them back. Tebtengiri shrugged. If you're such a poor leader that you can't hold them, I see no reason why they shouldn't choose another. Kassar cursed and lifted his right arm. Jamaka waited for the broad-shouldered man to strike the shaman. Kassar drew back and lowered his hand. A smile crossed Kassar's face as he tugged at his mustaches, but his narrowed, dark eyes were still angry. Did they choose you? Kassar asked. Or did you bring them here with one of your spells? I've heard all about your spells, Kokochu. Jamaka felt the shaman tense at this use of his childhood name. I've heard of how you lure men to you by bending over and parting your buttocks. That's your kind of spell, telling them they can use you. Teptengiri's fist caught Kassar on the jaw. The force of the shaman's rage plunged Jamaka into darkness. The pounding of Teptengiri's pulse nearly drowned out the sound of the commands being shouted to the shaman's brothers. Drive this man from my camp, Teptengiri screamed. Beat him and the friends he brought here and tell them never to show their faces again. Jamaka hid himself in the darkness. This was exactly what he had wanted, to push the shaman into such a confrontation. Kassar would turn to his brother Timujin for justice, and the Khan would surely order Tebtengiri to return Kassar's followers to his camp. A few more such incidents, and Timujin might begin to doubt his shaman's wisdom and loyalty. Another thought came to him. Tebtengiri had been much too angered by what was only a crude, drunken jest. The shaman, he was sure now, secretly feared that he might be exactly what Kassar accused him of being. Perhaps he lusted for Timujin, and maybe he also feared that he would lose the hold on the Khan if Timujin ever glimpsed that hidden longing. Jamaka held that thought closely. It was another weapon he might use. Kassar appealed to his brother the Khan but Timujin gave him no justice. Instead, he sent him away with mocking words about how the mighty Kassar had allowed himself to be beaten. 
Rather than losing Temujin's favor, Teb Tengiri had strengthened his position. Temujin had listened when Teb Tengiri went to him to say that Kassar had designs on his throne, that he had been plotting against him, that some of his followers wanted Kassar to be their Khan. Now Kassar was in disgrace, and even the pleas of the Khan's old mother Holun had not swayed Temujin. He would not risk angering his shaman, and Jamaka knew why. Temujin could not bear the possibility that Jamaka might again be lost to him. I had come to doubt the spirits, Temujin whispered. He had summoned the shaman to his camp, and had sent everyone, even the slaves, away from his great tent. For he always spoke to Jamaka's ghost in solitude. I began to think that the dead would always be silent, he continued. That in truth there were no ghosts who haunted the world, or who had flown to heaven. I came to think that this world might be all men have. And now I can believe that isn't so. That my spirit is with you proves that, Jamaka said through Teb Tengiri. The reins controlling him were looser now. The shaman allowed him to speak more freely when Jamaka's talk seemed to be serving his end. More often now, Timujin said, I find myself thinking of the time you were my only friend, when we first swore our Anda oath. I remember... They had sworn their oath by the iced-over Onan River in winter. Both of them fatherless boys. I had only a brass die to offer you as a gift to mark that promise. And I had only my knucklebone dice. Timujin leaned forward, reciting the words he had said so many years ago. When we ride together, no one will come between us. I will cherish you and love your sons as my own. Our bond will last for all our lives. Our two lives will be one. Jamaka said. I will always defend you, and will never raise my hand to you. I swear it now. May my promise live in my heart. All that I have now was only a dream then. Timujin's hands gripped Teb Tengiri's shoulders. Sometimes I think that my old dreams of glory brought me more joy than the actual conquests. Those old dreams I shared with you. His face seemed more youthful in the soft glow cast by the hearth. My comrades... My brothers, my sons, I value all of them. But none has ever taken your place. You were... Timujin fell silent, searching Teb Tengiri's face. Jamaka knew what he could say. Which words would bring Timujin under Teb Tengiri's sway forever? You were my other self, Timujin. You shared yourself with me as you did with no one else. I have not forgotten our nights under the tree in the Korkonog Valley. The nights under my tent. The nights out on the steppe when we were guarding the horses. Timujin would expect to hear such words, which would prove that Jamaka's spirit was speaking to him. Teb Tengiri would be given everything he desired because he had restored Jamaka to his sworn brother, the Khan. Jamaka cloaked his thoughts quickly, then sensed that the shaman's mind was elsewhere. Teb Tengiri was relishing his growing influence taking pride in how easily he had divided the Khan from his favorite brother, Kassar, of how he would soon become the true ruler of Timujin's realm. But would he be so willing to use Jamaka's ghost to further his ends once he saw the hidden part of his bond with Timujin? Jamaka recalled the rage and shame that had torn at Teptengiri during Kassar's coarse joke, of how fearful he had been that Kassar might have glimpsed something inside him that he could not acknowledge. 
To bring such things out of the dark pools inside Tebtengiri into the light would be risky. The shaman's rage and fear might destroy both his soul and Jamaka's. Timujin was gazing intently into Tebtengiri's eyes, clearly waiting for Jamaka to speak of the deeper love they had kept hidden from everyone. You were my comrade in battle, Jamaka murmured, my companion during the hunt, my sworn brother. There can be no stronger bond than that. Timujin glanced down, looking disappointed. He lifted his head, and for an instant Jamaka thought that he saw doubt in the Khan's pale eyes. That uncertainty might grow, might become another weapon to use against the shaman. If Timujin came to believe that no ghost truly lived inside Tebtengiri, the shaman would lose his hold over him. Timujin sighed, then slowly got to his feet, and Jamaka realized that the shaman had missed the flicker of doubt in the Khan's eyes. Jamaka now had all the weapons he needed in order to work the will of the spirits, to destroy Teb Tengiri, and allow Temujin to be the ruler heaven had chosen. Holun, the Khan's mother, was ailing. Some whispered that the old woman was dying. Others murmured that the shaman Teb Tengiri had put a curse on Holun because she had confronted Temujin, demanding justice for her son Kassar, and uttering harsh words about Teb Tengiri. To affront the Khan's chief shaman, who had brought the Khan so many victories with his spells, was dangerous. He would summon the powerful spirits he commanded to bring ruin upon his enemies. Those speaking to ingratiate themselves with the shaman carried such rumors to him, and Jamaka saw that the tales only fed Tebtengiri's growing arrogance. Jamaka had, while haunting the earth, recalled the times his own passions and ambitions had been his undoing. His hungers and longings were gone burned away at last by Tebtengiri's imprisonment of his spirit. But the shaman was still driven by his desire for power, which had grown even greater after his capture of Jamaka's ghost. Now, spurred on by his triumph over Kassar, Tebtengiri sought to tighten his grip on the Khan. To bring down the shaman who had captured him, to bring Temujin to see that Tebtengiri thought of the Khan's realm as his own, was now Jamaka's only purpose and also the only way that he could free himself from the shaman. Timujin had become the greatest Khan of his people, chosen by heaven to unite them and to make an army of them. Without Tebtengiri, he might at last bring all of the world under his standard, but under his shaman's influence he might lose all that he had won. Jamaka had done what he could to sow distrust and doubt in Timujin's mind. Three times since Kassar's banishment, Timujin had come to Tebtengiri's camp, to commune with Jamaka's spirit, and three times Jamaka had refused to utter the words of love that the Anda clearly expected to hear, and Teb Tengiri's suspicions had not been aroused. But Jamaka could not tell if Timujin's doubts were growing, if the Khan was beginning to suspect that his shaman might only be mimicking Jamaka and pretending that he had captured his ghost. More men joined Teb Tengiri's camp and swore their oaths to him, better to ride with the man whom Genghis Khan favored above all, than with another leader. Among those who came to the shaman were several comments of the Temuji, Temujin's youngest brother. A more cautious man would have sent them away, would not have provoked another confrontation with one of the Khan's brothers so soon. Instead, Teb Tengiri, as Jamaka had expected, welcomed Temuji's men to his camp. Kokuchu! A man was shouting outside Teb Tengiri's yurt. Come outside! Teb Tengiri was sitting with his brothers and other followers, 
picking over the remains of a feast. Before the shaman could rise, one of his brothers moved toward the tent's entrance. "'Who are you?' the brother shouted through the open entrance. "'And what is your business?' "'My name is Sokur, and I wrote here under the orders of Temuji Odchikin, brother of the Khan. "'Temuji demands that you return his followers to his camp.' Sokur came through the entrance then, ducking down and then straightening again as he approached the hearth and the men who were seated with the shaman on cushions in the back of the tent. Jamaka, peering through the haze that Tebtengiri's drunkenness had produced, saw a huge man with a wrestler's massive build under his long-belted tunic. Sokur would be a match for any man in the tent, perhaps for all of them. If Temuji can't hold his men himself, one man called out, then they should be free to choose another chief. Another of Temtengiri's brothers was whispering to him. Send the men back, he murmured to the shaman. They'll return to your camp before long, and when they do, Temuji will have to let them go. Good advice, Jamaka thought. But Tebtengiri was beyond such wisdom, drunk on wine and kumis, and intoxicated with his ambitions. Temuji's men will stay here. Tebtengiri said as he got to his feet. Leave now, or we'll take a whip to you. Sokur's face reddened at the insult. To take a whip to a man was a grave offense. The Khan will have something to say about this, he bellowed. The Khan will say nothing, Tebtengiri drew himself up. You know what happened to his brother Kassar. He'll only bring the same fate upon your master Temuji. Sokur lunged toward Tebtengiri, but was quickly brought down by three other men. They dragged him toward the entrance as Tebtengiri left. Whip him out of the camp, the shaman shouted after them. Send him back to his master with his saddle tied to his back. Jamaka withdrew into darkness. He did not need to hear more. Perhaps Temujin would finally act. Would see that if his shaman could strike out at the Khan's brothers he might not shrink from eventually striking at his sons, even at the Khan himself. And if he did not act, but let Temuji suffer the disgrace that Kassar had, Jemuka refused to think of that. My power grows. The voice whispering that thought of Tebtenkiri's was so low that Jamaka could barely hear it. Soon I may not need you at all, but don't think I'll release you so quickly. There are many ways to imprison a ghost to keep it against a time when it may be needed again. Jamaka's fate was still bound to Temujin's. He hid in the blackness of Tebtengiri's soul, wondering what the Khan would do. Tebtengiri was summoned to the Khan's Ordu. His six brothers rode there with him, leaving their tents well before dawn. The shaman was certain that Temujin would not stand against him, but preferred to face him with his brothers at his side. Temuji had probably gone to the Khan to demand the return of his followers, but he would get no more satisfaction from Temujin than had his brother, Kassar. As they rode, Tebtengiri allowed Jamuka to gaze at the world through his eyes. Spring had come to the steppe, and blue and white wildflowers dotted the grassland. Soon the grass would reach to a man's waist. In the distance, a black ridge of mountains thrust up from the land, reaching toward heaven and Jamaka thought he could hear the spirits of the mountains calling to him, chanting that he had stayed too long among the living. He suddenly felt a fierce longing for the earth he had lost, as if this might be the last time he would ever look upon it. 
a herd of the Khan's favorite white horses grazed beyond his camp. On the horizon, streams of smoke rose from the circles of black tents in the Khan's Ordu. They had approached the encampment from the south. By the time they had reached Timujin's great tent to the north of the camp, the sun was in the western part of the cloudless blue sky. Timujin's guards watched in silence as Tebtengiri and the others dismounted, then called out the names of the visitors as they approached the entrance. Tebtengiri led his brothers inside, stepping carefully over the threshold. He did not bow. He had never bowed before his stepbrother, the Khan, and would not do so now. The shaman and his brothers hung up their bowcases and quivers and arrows on the western side of the entrance. An expanse covered by carpets separated them from Timujin, who sat on his felt-covered throne on top of a platform at the northern end of the tent. His chief wife, Bortai, was at his left, her large golden-brown eyes focused on her husband. Jamukha had not expected her to be there. To his right, the Khan's brother, Timuji, sat in the place of honor, with three big, broad-shouldered men near him. Members of the Khan's day guard, wearing black lacquered leather armor and blue sashes, stood in front of the platform. Was Timujin, Jamukha wondered, finally ready to confront Tebtengiri? Would he have urged Timuji to stay there for this meeting only to humiliate him? Munglik, Tebtengiri's father and Timujin's stepfather, was seated not far from Timuji, pulling at his long gray mustaches and smiling to himself. Surely he would not have come there if he expected to see his shaman's son disgraced. Timujin's intentions were well hidden. I greet you, my Khan and brother, Tebtengiri murmured as he approached the back of the tent. Jamaka sensed no fear inside the shaman as he lifted his head and gazed steadily into Timujin's pale eyes. Tebtengiri had worn his white coat made from the hides of snow leopards, his hat of eagle feathers and his necklaces of silver and jewels all gifts from the Khan. Timujin wore a plain brown wool tunic, worn trousers, felt boots, and a simple blue headband around his shaven head. He had always scorned adornment for himself. Jamukha could read nothing in Timujin's eyes. They seemed to be staring past Temtengiri at something unseen. My brother Temuji Ochigin has complained to me about you, Timujin said in his quiet voice. Timuji sat up straight on his cushion, anger in his eyes. He had grown fatter since the years when Jamukha had known him. He had always been a slower, lazier, more placid man than his brother. Now his eyes flitted from Timujin to the shaman, as if he were waiting for a command. Jamukha sensed danger. The wisest course for Temtengiri now would be to smooth over his differences with Timuji. That might weaken the shaman's position for a short time but Timujin could be brought around again. Even as he realized this, being careful to keep his thoughts masked, Jamukha knew that Temtengiri was now beyond reason. Your brother has no reason to complain. The shaman's musical voice almost sang the words. Some of his men chose to join me. Does it matter if they serve me or Timuji Ochigin, as long as they serve their Khan? He paused. I suspect they came to me only because Temuji may harbor ambitions much like those of his disgraced brother Kassar. I won't listen to this, Temuji shouted, rising from his cushion. Temujin motioned him back with one sharp movement of his hand. Tebtengiri had gone too far to turn back. Jamukha trembled in the darkness, suddenly fearful for himself and his spirit. 
the shaman drew nearer to Temujin, so close that he could have reached out and touched the tops of the Khan's boots. Bortai clung tightly to the edge of her husband's sleeve. I serve my Khan above all others, Teptengiri said softly. My loyalty is to you and to none else. It is not your brother who casts the spells that have brought you victory. It is not your brother who allows the spirit of your Onda Jamu Ka to dwell inside him and to bring comfort to you. Timujin recoiled. Jamaka saw the plain and longing in his pale eyes, and thought that the shaman would win out after all, and then the greenish-brown eyes grew hard once more. Once I believed that. Timujin's voice was so low that Jamaka could barely hear him. I heard his voice through you. I saw his spirit gazing out at me from your eyes. But there are things he would have said to me, words you never spoke, words that only he, the Khan, suddenly motioned to Temuji. His younger brother jumped to his feet, shouting, I'll settle this myself! Temuji rushed at the shaman. We'll see who's stronger now! His big hands closed around Tebtengiri's neck. Jamaka fluttered helplessly inside the shaman as Tebtengiri gasped for breath. Settle this outside my tent, Temujin called out. You may prove who is stronger there. What is this? Munglik was rising from his seat. What are you doing? Timujin spun around to face the old man. Timuji has been insulted, he replied. Your son, Tebtengiri, has overstepped his bounds. I will do nothing against him myself, and won't shed his blood. But Timuji must be allowed to settle this. The shaman's brothers were advancing toward the back of the tent. The Khan's guards quickly massed around the throne. You will never hear the voice of your Onda again, Tebtengiri screamed, but Temuji was already dragging him across the threshold, followed by the three burly men who had been sitting with him. Outside, Tebtengiri's terror fluttered into Jamaka. His fear was the wind under the wings of a bird, lifting Jamaka swiftly from the darkness and setting his soul free. He heard a shriek as one of Temuji's men forced the shaman's shoulders back, bending him into a bow until his back snapped. The other two men were laughing as they talked of how poor a fighter Teptengiri had been, and how easily he had been defeated. Temuji bent over the body, poked at it to be certain that Teptengiri was dead, then kicked the corpse toward a cart. A pale mist formed over Teptengiri, then became a falcon. The ghostly raptor flew up from the shaman's body and stretched out its translucent wings as it circled Jamuka. You escaped me, the falcon said with Tebtengiri's voice. I might have kept you bound to me even after my death, but you escaped me. Now I have no power over you. Jamaka fluttered his own ghostly wings, then alighted near the cart. The will of the spirits is done. Even you could not stand against it. And what was the will of the spirits? Tebtengiri's ghost asked. That Temujin should rule his people and not you. My spells brought him his conquests. You should have been satisfied with the many rewards he gave you, Jamaka said. Now he will have to conquer the rest of the world without you. Men were coming out of the Khan's tent to peer at the body, unaware of the spirits lingering near the corpse. I could have ruled with Timujin, the falcon said. Once I said the same, Jamaka murmured. You might have had your revenge for what he did to you, Jamaka. Instead, you hid the truth from me, the truth that would have kept Timujin bound to me. I see that now. 
what you were to him and what he once was to you. You would never have accepted that truth in life, Jamaka said. That wasn't why you kept it from me. You used it as a weapon against me. I used it to free myself. The falcon spread its wings and sprang up, riding on the wind toward the bright blue sky. Timujin was coming toward the shaman's body now, followed by his guards. The Khan's face was slack, his eyes as dead as if his own spirit had flown from him. Timujin leaned over the corpse of Teb Tengiri. Rise, he whispered. Rise now. Come back to life so that I can know my sworn brother truly lived inside you. I would willingly suffer any curse you might put upon me to know for certain that the dead are not silent, that Jomuka spoke to me through you. Teb Tengiri's glassy eyes gazed up sightlessly at the Khan. He would trouble Temujin's realm no more. Those who loved their Khan would no longer have to fear his spells. Temujin would have the triumphs that heaven had ordained for him, but he would also have to live in an empty world where ghosts no longer spoke to him in which his doubts about their existence would always torment him. He would fear the death of his soul as much as that of his body while he lived, for he would believe death to be only a void, one that would extinguish his spirit. With only a few words spoken through Teb Tengiri while the shaman still lived, Jamaka could have banished those doubts into Mujin's torment, but only at the cost of giving the shaman the power he craved. It came to him then that he had won some measure of revenge while also honoring his oath to watch over his onda. Your torment will not last long, Jamaka extended his wings. It will last only a man's lifetime. You will be with me again, Timujin, when your soul flies to heaven. But his anda would not hear him. The wind lifted Jamaka, and he let it carry him away from the Khan. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do pop over to the main website and give us a little donation via the buttons. It's easy, it's quick, and it all goes into the pot to keep far-fetched fables coming every week. Thanks very much to Mark for all that he's done over the last couple of weeks. He did a fantastic job, as I'm sure you'll all agree. Just goes to show that far-fetched fables is a team, and without that team behind me, we would never be able to bring you the fantastic stories we do week after week. That's it. Have a great week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.